Dental inflation in Canada has been almost double the average, and we need to talk about what you can do with your customers today to help deal with the dental inflation, deal with the increases, and address the renewals. My name is Yafa Sakaja. I'm the CEO of Beneplan, and Beneplan is Canada's refundable health insurance plan for small and medium businesses. Employee benefits are the most affordable with Beneplan because our fees are very low. We have a net target loss ratio of 89%, net meaning before brokers add their commission, and we have paid $30 million of premium refunds back to customers since inception. This is money that came in that did not go towards claims, didn't go towards fees, didn't go towards profit. This gets fully refunded to our customers once every 12 months. If you're interested, visit us at beneplan.ca, find me on LinkedIn, Yafa Sakaja, and let's get right into it. So today I want to talk about the dental fee guide in Ontario and across Canada. Typically, since I've been in this industry, the fee guide on average will increase about three to 4% every year. COVID then short-circuited everything, of course, especially in Ontario where we are located. Um, dental offices were ordered to shut for two months. I think a lot of you were aware, but if you weren't aware, what happened at this time is a lot of insurance companies decided to give credits or premium refunds on the next bill for the two months that dentists were closed. And then what we saw after the pandemic was a twofold issue. So we did see some revenge claiming, and I, I mean, I hate to use the word revenge because most dentists are good people, kind people, ethical business people, but they are small business owners. They do need to make a profit at the end of the day. So when I think about, well, if my business were to have lost its revenue for two months, what would I do? I would try to make sure that I've made up that revenue in the following year. So we saw some of that. We saw people coming back to dentists in 2022, back to normal levels, whereas in 2021, there was still some fear around going back to public health institutions. And then there was also inflation. So input inflation, um, dentists probably had to increase wages. They had to deal with the fact that their input costs have increased. PPE has increased. All of that has increased. So what we're seeing in 2023 is that the dental fee guides, which are the listing of how much prices are for every benefit or every covered code, um, they increased by an enormous amount. In Ontario, it was almost 9%. In Alberta, same thing. And we saw this across other provinces as well. So this is more than, almost more than double the typical increase. And here's how it's going to be affecting you and your clients. I mean, in your clients' renewals, you're going to be seeing a trend or an inflation assumption level. And this is always gonna be a combination of both the actual fee guide percentage increase. So if it was 8% across the board where you live, that's factored in. Plus we do factor in extra usage. So it's not just that claims go up every year because fees go up. They also got, go up because there's a natural human tendency to spend a little bit more every year. People have more kids, people get older, they have more needs. And so that is a reality. When you come to renew your clients this year and next year, it's going to be very difficult because I personally, my personal opinion is I don't see the fee guide going down. I also don't see it going back to the 3% or 4% level anytime soon. Um, you know, while we know that Canadian health insurance companies are writing strongly worded letters to the provincial dental associations saying, please stop the double digit increases. I don't know how much recourse there is, and I don't know how much teeth the insurance companies have to reduce it. 
Um, so I wanted to give you some practical things that you can say in the field that will help reduce the dental increase to your customers. One thing is, okay, people always ask, how do we reduce the dental rate? Yes, you, we know that you can shop the market. Other than shopping the market, yes, you can cut benefits. People always hate it when we talk about cutting benefits. But I want to talk about all of the different items in the contract that you can cut and one of the other maybe more subtle nuanced things you can talk to the insurer about that don't necessarily cut back the dollars available for the staff, but cut back some of the claiming patterns. So the most obvious thing is to cut back on the coinsurance level. If you have 100% dental, cutting it back to 90% is going to reduce the premium significantly. This is a very unpopular method to do. And also if you're forced to do this, um, a heavy cut such as either the coinsurance or the benefit maximum. So for example, if you might have $1,000 or $2,000 for basic restorative services and an extra $1,000 for major restorative services or orthodontics, those two big types, those two categories, once you announce that to staff, to be honest, I'm just gonna tell this to you now because this has burned me in my career in the past. When I've given four weeks notice to the population to say, hey, get prepared, your dental is going from 100% to 90% or 80% effective four weeks from now, it almost has the reverse effect on the claims because I found that in the next four weeks, there was this huge hurry to get a lot of stuff done. And so then all of that claiming pattern actually did end up showing up in the following year's renewal. So it was a really negative experience because the client saw that, well, Yes, we cut the benefits, except the claims didn't reduce. In fact, the claims <laughs> increased because there's this huge rush to go out and get everything done. So maybe people who were not even thinking about getting their teeth cleaned were like, oh, we better go get it cleaned now because it's gonna get cut. Um, so we angered employees with the premiums still increased in the following year and the owner was upset. So don't do what I did, do something different. You know, see if you can find a different communication strategy that's maybe a little bit more graduated or maybe a gentler coinsurance cut. I mean, sometimes business is tough and you're with a business that is bleeding as an industry. They have to make deep and heavy cuts. There's nothing you can do about it. But what you can do is try your best to educate the employee population to say, look, like we need to be in this together. Um, we need to make sure that this plan is sustainable. Even as I'm saying that, I'm like, that's still, it's really tough depending upon your po employee population, if they've got strong communication skills or if not, if they care about the company or if not. So it is what it is. Um, same thing with the maximum. So you can cut back the max from let's say $2,000 to 1500, but you know, while that's going to be your biggest lever in terms of cost savings, that is going to cause some upset as well. So let's talk about the dental fee guide. Does your contract say that it covers the current year dental fee guide for general practitioners? If so, and if you're an industry that's, or if you're serving an industry that's looking for every dollar, you can look for covering the prior year's dental fee guide. In fact, you can pick any year you want. I've seen some contracts, like I remember in 2008 when we had a huge recession and manufacturing and auto was in crisis. I saw them going from covering the current year fee guide to the fee guide from two years ago. You wanna be careful with communicating this to the insurer though, because I've also seen contracts where they'll say, we cover the fee guide from 2004. So I guess the language they used in saying, hey, can you cover the 2004 fee guide instead? And I guess the insurer just literally typed that into the system and forgot about it and then 
like a decade went by and people are complaining at how bad the plan is. And it's like, Oh yeah, you need to actually say this year minus one year, as opposed to a specific year. So be really, really careful about that. I saw an advisor once lose a case because of that, uh, subtle detail. Um, then what else can you do? Uh, do you cover the specialist fee guide? If so, is, if that's, you know, pushing up costs a lot, then talk to your insurer about what the fee savings would be if you were to reduce that or to cut specialists altogether. Again, I hate talking about cuts, but this is just when it's either this or removing dental as a benefit altogether, which I have seen. I mean, some companies threaten it and it's hard to believe that they'll actually reduce it to saying no dental whatsoever, but it does happen. It's a fact of life. Um, there's some other items. So Recall exams and cleaning. If it's once every six months, you could move that up to once every nine months. So that should reduce the premium by a few percentage points. Um, how often are x-rays? How often are fluoride? Is it once every six months? Do you want to stretch that to nine months or even a year? While I'm not a dentist and I'm not here to tell you what's best for your teeth, if, again, if it's either this or cutting the benefit plan completely, we want to make sure that we have coverage. But maybe making some sacrifices to keep the plan open. Um, what about fluoride treatment? <clears throat> I know some plans only cover fluoride treatment for children up to the age of 21 only. Um, sometimes what you could do is reduce the age if the insurer will let you do that in the system. So maybe you only want to cover fluoride for treatment for children up to age. I've seen 18, I've seen 14. It is debatable. I mean, I know fluoride is really good and important for our teeth, but some companies, sorry, some cities have it in the drinking water. You could argue that people who are brushing their teeth every day are doing well to prevent fluoride um, loss. And so, you know, reducing the age from age 21, which is basically an adult, down to, and when I say fluoride treatment, I mean, <clears throat> if you're like sitting in the chair and they're giving you the trays and you're sitting there getting more fluoride into your teeth, I mean, that's a good thing. But if we're looking to save money, you can always reduce the age for children from 21. I would say I wouldn't go lower than maybe 14. I think it's a little low. Um, is oral hygiene instruction a covered expense? If it is, that's something that you could cut back on. If you're listening to this and you're a dentist, I'm so sorry. Please know this is not what we want to do, but we're trying to make some tough decisions right now in the economy. Um, then we're looking at the scaling and the root planning. So I left the scaling for last, even though I actually think it's a large component of where your dollars go. So if you look at a claims breakdown of dental for the year, you're going to see that most likely probably about 30 to 40% of the actual claims is going towards scaling and root planning. What is scaling and root planning? Scaling is the most common dental procedure that's done for a typical cleaning. So when you think, oh, I'm going in for a cleaning, it means reaching below the gum line to remove plaque buildup. And they're using typically that little tool, like that little scraper tool. Um, I know some people really hate it, but that's where you're doing the heavy lifting of cleaning teeth in between, um, in between checkups. So basically what this means is for every minute that you're in the chair, you are being timed and when the dentist is billing the insurer, they're billing in terms of units of time and 15 minutes means one unit of time. So what you want to do, I think as an advisor is take a look at your local dental association recommendation. I know where I live, 
they recommend typically two units every six months for scaling and root plating, meaning that you're gonna be sitting in the chair for 30 minutes of just the cleaning component every six months. And that's where they're going in and doing the extra deep clean with the tools. 30 minutes of just the cleaning. Then there could be more time if it's an exam or if you're doing x-rays or fillings or anything like that. But that's what that means. And so every unit of time has an amount. And this is typically the largest amount that we're seeing coming through from a number of claims perspective. So one of the things you could do is say, okay, the Ontario Dental Association, for example, might recommend um, two units every six months, which could be four units a year. <coughs> Maybe six or eight units is like even better. But what you'll see in insurance contracts is sometimes they'll have an allowance for eight to 16 units of time per year combined. And so if the client is like, look, we really need to save money, we have to look somewhere. Scaling is gonna be a big way where you're gonna save money. What you could do is bring the units of time down for eight, let's say eight per scaling and root planing, down to four or six per year. It's tough, I know dentists don't like it, I know it's gonna be a source of contention, people will complain, but that's where you're gonna get a huge decrease. Now, one of the things I also wanted to talk about was fraud. So let's not assume that every dentist is fraudulent, but it's important that you have an, a chat with your insurer and find out like what are their anti-fraud practices. So how do they determine whether dental claims are fraudulent? Here are some of the high level insights that I've learned in my career. Basically in the US where we have a lot of the data um, and according to the Canadian Healthcare Anti-Fraud Association, which is part of the CLHIA, we have seen estimates as wide as 10 to 20% of dental claims coming through as either fraudulent or very questionable practices in terms of billing both government and private plans. One of the things that comes through is if a dentist submits grainy or poor quality images, it could be a red flag. Like, are they trying to hide something? Are they trying to make it difficult for the examiner to see what's going on? Or do they just not invest in quality imaging or software? So that's one of the things that insurers are going to look for. Also, with predeterminations, anytime they see scribbles instead of printed out or typed out text, it's a cause for concern. Sometimes when people try to hide things, the quality of submission of claim could be high. There's, sorry, if the quality of claim submission is low, there could be a risk for fraud. Um, we see typically um, upcoding is big, so going the next level up for reimbursement or sometimes rounding up. So let's say you've been sitting in the chair for like, I don't know, 31 minutes, but being round up to 45 minutes because then that goes from two units of time to three units of time. There's some of that tendency as well. Um, receptionists could also be a large area for fraud. Um, sometimes what receptionists do without even the dentist, so the physician knowing about it is they could potentially submit a false claim to the insurance company. The check gets mailed back to the dental office. The receptionist takes the check before the dentist, presumably an owner operator sees it. They reverse their claim in their own computer system. Then they walk to their own bank. They deposit the check in their ATM and pocket the amount fully. Sometimes depending upon the bank is the bank doesn't question a check submitted through the ATM unless the issuing party or in the intended recipient goes after the bank and questions it. So since the receptionist has reversed the claim in their system, the dentist is not expecting the money to come in and has nothing to question. A lot of that fraud though, it gets cracked down upon the more that dental offices participate in the electronic billing systems that we hope 
almost 100% of people are doing now. Anytime you're hearing from your clients that like they're upset because their dentist is upset and you dig deeper, I find we used to have a lot of this pushback <coughs> when insurers were moving, pushing towards EDI more and more. And not just that, when they were actually pushing to get rid of checks and only move to direct deposit, some offices were complaining heavily. And so that's always, I wouldn't say like a red flag, but it's a gray flag for me or a beige flag because, um, you know, if you're above board and you don't want to commit fraud, there really should be no reason why you're not participating in these normal payment plans. So, you know, the, the amount and the extent of the fraud does make a difference. I mean, we've seen some employee groups that all go to the same dentist. They all have like the same pattern of claiming there could be a pattern of fraud there. So there's nothing wrong with asking your insured to look into the file and have a claims um, adjudicator look at the pattern and just see if they see anything, any like anomalies in there. You don't want to do it all the time, but what you want to do is, especially for your larger clients or your clients that have maybe more complexity, getting the insured to also helping you by looking at, well, where can we cut back without really reducing the co-insurance or the dollars? That's going to go a long way in terms of reducing the money, saving your customer, and hopefully having a happy renewal experience. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. You can find me on LinkedIn at Yaffa Sakaja, or you can send me an email to yaffa at benimplan.ca. And yeah, we get a lot of our ideas for podcasts just by talking to people like you. So if there's anything you're not sure about, please feel free to reach out and we'd love to do a segment on it. Thanks for listening.